Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher. I'm going to be the host for today's episode. We've got a really great episode lined up for you. A lot of awesome listener questions have come in over the last couple of weeks. And so we're going to spend the latter two-thirds of the episode diving into some of those listener questions and talking about college admission and finance and those particular issues that are especially interesting to you at this point in time. Um, But before we do that, we're really excited uh, to introduce our first guest on the show today. We've got Andrew Cohen here. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Hey, Ian, great to to be here. Thanks for having me. Really happy to have you. Now, you are a senior enterprise account executive at LinkedIn in the education vertical. And I think a lot of people might think, well, wait, what's the relationship between LinkedIn and a college admission and finance podcast? And Andrew, actually... uh, I want to. I've I've been using LinkedIn a lot um, of late with my students, and I think this might come as a little bit of a surprise to our listeners. But we want to unpack a little bit about how high school and college students can make use of LinkedIn, both in terms of helping to establish some of the connections with people uh, along their career paths, and also in terms of actually using it for college research. Um, LinkedIn, I must confess, is the only social media platform that I use, so that's the only place you can find me if you're looking. Um, and and I, w- I would love to just dive in a little bit and hear what your recommendations are, especially for high school students, right? They may not have work experience. They might get in there and start setting up their LinkedIn page and wonder, where do I even begin? What do I do here? What do I, what do I put on this page? So what's your advice for, for students when to start and, and how to start setting up a LinkedIn page? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Just uh, jumping in. I think... Uh, it sounds like there's a there's some fear that that's built into this a little bit, um, and that's a difficult thing when you're you know 16, 17, you know 18 years old starting out. But the sooner you build your presence and what we like to call your personal brand on the platform, the better the payoffs are going to be down the road. And listen, this is the Gen Z generation. Um, LinkedIn just came out with this amazing research on on Gen Z. Um, you are this generation is is the workforce going forward. Then the next three years are going to be 27% of the workforce, believe it or not. Baby boomers are retiring. Millennials like myself are, you know, moving into leadership roles, but Gen Z is is coming up. And and this generation, uh, you're leading the great reshuffle. You are the fastest growing generation. You're the most mobile generation. You're also the most educated. Um, Our research says that 86% are engaged in some form of online learning. You are just changing the education landscape before your eyes. Um, and that's the perfect reason to, to be on LinkedIn and start thinking about how to use your education for the careers and, you know, and inhibiting that entrepreneurial spirit that is really built into the generation as well. You're the most entrepreneurial generation we've ever seen. Um, you know, getting started, you know, create your profile. Um, but ask, the first thing too, is, is ask for help. You're going to know somebody yeah. who has a profile and who has an amazing profile. Um, get over that hump and ask for help. There are 810 million members around the world on this platform. I guarantee you know someone with a, an amazing platform, uh, amazing profile. Um, so to start, you know, ask for some help in creation. And the first thing you have to do is put on an amazing professional photo. It's still, it still boggles my mind how many people don't have a photo and don't have a professional looking photo. Yeah. Um, please don't put up a prom photo. You can do better than that. Um, you know, go in front of a solid white wall, have someone take a really nice photo. What we see, I mean, these stats are, are crazy. We see 21 times more views on your profile if you have a photo, nine times more connections, 36 times more messages just because you have a profile picture. And then on top of that, you know, you 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 mentioned a lot of people don't even have experience. I, no. I, I bet they do. And it's okay mm. if you were an intern or a lifeguard or worked at an ice cream parlor. It's you want to put that on your profile. You want to demonstrate 
those skills, that you're part of the workforce in some capacity, those jobs can lead to amazing opportunities. Let me, let me give you a quick example here. Sure. If you worked um, as a, a, at, uh, at Target, for example, over the summer or at a big ice cream shop, um, and you indicate you worked at those big corporations, those corporations, if when that logo is on your profile, they have hundreds of thousands of um, employees there that you're now invariably connected to. And it gives you, and it really starts to fill in your feed and give you that opportunity to, to reach, you know, new connections with someone that you have in common. I was having a a conversation with a student the other day about getting started on their activities list, right? So the the college application has this activity space and Mm -hmm. there certainly is a Venn diagram of stuff that you would put on LinkedIn and stuff that lands on your activities list. But I think there's also kind of a third circle of things that students don't necessarily think matters but probably does even for both of those contexts. Um, You know, I'm thinking about things like babysitting or uh, pet sitting or just certain kinds of activity that you do within your community. Um, There's a lot of space for community service and volunteer work on a LinkedIn page. And so what I'm hearing from you is this can be in some ways for a student, great initial practice for something that they might do later for their college application and their college application in turn is practice for thinking about things that matter for then managing their LinkedIn profile, their professional resumes, et cetera, kind of going forward. Um, you said something about reaching out and connecting with people who have a profile, who you know, who've got good ones. Um, I think it's kind of easy to see which ones are good ones and which ones aren't, but but maybe there are some, some rules of thumb there. I'm curious about I've always wondered about this personally, and I think it, it might be a good question also for these teenagers who are a little bit nervous and are, are getting on this platform the first time. What's the etiquette around connecting with people on LinkedIn? It's not quite like a friend request on Facebook. It's not quite a follow on Instagram. It's a little bit of a different kind of thing. How should students think about making those connection requests with people on LinkedIn? Yeah. Great question, Ian. Um, the, the, the three things when you're doing connections is the first, you want to tie it back to uh, you personally. Uh, so what I mean by that, when you make a connection, you, you have two options. You can connect with someone and just send the connection request, kind of like a friend request on other platforms and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But to really get the benefit out of the platform, we give you the ability to write a quick, uh, uh, like 250 character uh, personal message along with any connection requests. So what we recommend are these three things. Who are you, right? Um, How did you find their profile, right? Did you go to the same high school? Because we have the high schools mapped on our thing. Um, Did this individual go to the university that you just uh, applied to? Mm -hmm. Um, Did they happen? Are they a cousin? Did they work with one of your parents? Um, You know, how did you find them? And then the third most important and most difficult part as well is value, Right. What value can this connection bring to you? And what value can you bring to this connection? This is where you want to do a little bit of research, right? Did you read uh, something interesting about, uh, you know, the industry they work on? Or did their company just come out with a new product that really excites you? Um, At the end of the day, people love to talk about themselves. And so if you, in your connection request, right? In your connection request. Yeah. If you're able to just show a little bit of curiosity, um, you know, I'm really interested in, in uh, you know, what your uh, business is, is expanding in, in China right now. I'd love to, to talk about, are you able to, you know, set up time with me? Um, yeah. Believe it or not, people are very open these days to those conversations. I think that's right. And I, I love underscoring that idea, especially to high school students. I think they've got a lot going for them in that, first of all, they're young, <clears throat> they're still students. I think that people are always responsive to a sense of earnest curiosity, right? So the value, especially that you can bring in that connection as a student and, and the interest that you have, I think is huge for an adult. Like if I had somebody that reached out to me who says, I'm really interested in what you do for a living. I'd love to spend 30 minutes just asking some questions. I'm all, I would, absolutely. Let's do it. I would love to reward that kind of initiative with a conversation. Um, and I also tell students like, this is a good way to you can impress somebody with the questions that you ask with how that 30 minute session goes such that at the end, you haven't necessarily asked for an internship, but they might be thinking, you know what? I want to offer this kid one because of the way that they're connecting with me. And I think LinkedIn is an interesting way to open up that door. 
um, because they're people that you wouldn't necessarily have a chance to connect with. And there's this platform that's already baked in to allow you to do that. Um, what is, how much should students be hesitant or concerned about what's appropriate in terms of reading, reaching out? I think I could, I can imagine a student saying, I don't actually know this person. It would be weird. There are third level connections. They're not even connected to a connection. What, what should, how, how should they feel about that, that barrier? Right. Um, yeah, we, it's, I'm so glad you mentioned third degree. So the way we think yeah. about connections is really these circles, right? So your first degree connections are those you're actually connected to, right? Right. Right. And you and me, we, we connected earlier this week. Yes. From there, there's second degree. So for you, for example, you now have access, uh, to my almost 3000 connections on the platform because through me, I can right. introduce you to all these people. That's a second degree. Third degree goes a little bit beyond there. You know, mm-hmm. starting out, I think you're, the first goal is try to get to 50. Try to get to 50 connections, right? 50 connections starts to make your, your feed work for you. Mm-hmm. You're going to get enough content flowing through your feed that you're going to start to see a lot of value. Uh, and then from there, focus on the next circle, which is second degree. And that's where you reach out to your connections, right? Who you have relationships with and ask for introductions. Say, Ian, I... Um, I see you're connected to Molly. She uh, attended University of Texas. I'm really interested in the school. Would you be able to introduce me? I'd love to get her perspective. Yeah. That, I mean, right there, you can do that. Um, and all of a sudden you're now, you know, bridging a connection. Um, you know, Molly's going to want to most likely talk to you as well. Um, that sort of mindset Um once you get over that a little bit of fear, you start to see a ton of value coming to the platform. Now, I have a student that um, we had a conversation about a month and a half, two months ago, and she's interested in a particular field in her city. And she's curious about opportunities this summer. And what we did was we went onto LinkedIn and we searched for people who worked for prominent organizations within that field. And just clicked on a few of those profiles and said, all right, who actually works here? And and I encourage her, why don't you look for women in this field? Because it was a field where there aren't a lot of women that are involved. And talk about your interest in being a woman in this professional space and making those connections and reaching out in that regard. Um, And I I, that's it's a little different, right? Because there's not necessarily that that introduction that's happening, but this is also a very niche kind of thing that she's looking into. Um, How receptive do we think people are? I mean... is it is LinkedIn a space where there's a little bit less friction to that kind of conversation than finding someone's email on a directory and sending them a note or walking up to the building, which you probably don't have enough time to do, and knocking on a door and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this thing. That would be a little bit probably over the line. I don't know. Um, is that something that LinkedIn has any information about or, or data on that, that we can encourage? Yeah. First, I love the, the, the way you went about that. You were looking at... Um... These people with these in these certain roles, you can do the same thing with job searches um, and then filtering down to try to find people who you aspire to. First, if when you find that profile, you know, uh, take a look at that profile because that is probably a great way um, to to try to mimic like what what roles are they in? How did they get there? Where did they go to school? What's that path? Yeah, exactly. What what skills are on their profile? What what volunteer things have they done? Um, What certifications do they have? I mean, what an amazing launch pad to, to first go that direction. And, and in terms of like that cold reach out, one of the really, really interesting things we see uh, in the data here is that people want to mentor others. They just don't know how yes. about doing that. So the same way that people want to be a mentee, people also want to be a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a hard place to, to look, especially outside of where you currently work. So people are very open to it. So, you know, take a shot work on your, your quick elevator pitch about who you are and why you're interested in this and, you know, what potential value you can bring to the relationship. Um, you might not hear back or you might be told not the best time and that's okay. You're going to get told fine. no. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen. Right. But you don't, yeah. it's a, it's a saying I, I've been taught here is, you know, you don't get what you don't ask for. That's right. right? That's and, right. Um, it, yeah. Reach out. Um, if you happen to have anything in common, maybe you both volunteered for Boys and Girls of America. You know, maybe there's an organization that um, 
you both worked at prior or you're from the same county, any, any personal thing that you can relate back increases the likelihood uh, of that person getting back to you. It's same reason it increases the likelihood of you, you know, landing a job. You know, what we see is that, you know, you have four times more likely to get hired when you're referred by somebody. So you guys start building those yeah. connections. Yeah. I mean, that happened at college coach. I was referred by somebody who worked here already. So um, I can definitely corroborate that in my personal experience. Um, the other thing that I think I'm hearing from you, and I don't know if you're saying this explicitly, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that especially these initial connections, you keep them short and sweet. Like you're going to make you're going to make a pitch. You're going to, you're, you're going to essentially say something about your connection with that person, your interest, why you're reaching out, but you're not, let me send you my entire resume and tell you the backstory of my interest in this space. Maybe that comes out in further conversations, but the initial conversation is, is pretty short, you know, pretty yes. targeted, right? Right. Focus on the relationship first, build a connection, drive a little bit of value. Then you can start kind of making those requests, but yeah, short and sweet. And then once they're connected, then you can start to see those second degrees. Um, don't go in asking for, for everything. Um, no. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll scare people away. And yeah. And they're just like, I don't know if I can do this and I haven't met this kid yet. And I don't know if I'm, if I can really commit this time. You got to let it be a little bit more organic. And one of the things you said about mentors is it's very, I think it's a lot easier to find a mentor than a mentee. Like if you think about, I want to have a mentee, what do you do? It's like, I'm not going to go to the local high school and say, Hey, does anybody want to come and be mentored by me? That is not going to work. Right. So the mentors typically have to wait and get asked by the mentees. And so there's a, a big open space for students to step into here. Um, we are short on time, but I want to really cover this other space, this entire other space. And we might have to have you back, Andrew, to talk a little bit more about this, but LinkedIn is actually a pretty robust tool for researching. You alluded to this, some of the pathways that people can take in order to get to certain professional outcomes. And there's this really awesome opportunity to look at different kinds of universities and where people who graduate from these universities end up in terms of industry distribution and also the locations they tend to live in. And so I wonder if you could just give an introduction, a high level introduction to that tool on LinkedIn so that people can start researching it. And then maybe we can have you back to d dive in in greater detail. Yeah. Ian, that'd be great. It's a great question too. So I, I alluded earlier, we have uh, over 120,000 schools uh, on the platform, including high schools. Uh, but when you get to the college and, and university level, um, and you access and you click on those pages, you search for them on LinkedIn and you get to, you know, their, their page, there's a tab called the alumni tab, yeah. which what it does is it pulls in all the members who uh, attend or attended uh, that university uh, indicated by their profile. And so what you're able to do is look, it's, it's the largest longitudinal study of, of career outcomes in the world. And mm -hmm. you, what you can do is filter by geography, industries, job titles, you know, companies they work at, and it'll filter, it'll show you all the people who attended, you know, University of Texas, Rutgers, you, you name it, um, to see, oh my God, this person is, you know, the VP of engineering at Netflix. And they went to this school, you know, you can look in their profile. How did, how did they get there? What steps did they take? When did they graduate? Do we have any connections in common that, that, that someone, cause that'll also show, right. Do they happen to know Ian, right. Um, to work yourself backwards and then, you know, go, go a little bit further. What did this person study, right? What was their field of study? What skills do they have? And then work yourself backwards. If you, if you think, wow, I want to be like that person, right? I want that job. I want to live in Los Angeles and work in for Disney, for example, right? You can go to the university, filter by Disney, filter by Los Angeles, see the 300 alumni who work there and then see, okay, you know, 20% of them studied business there, 20% studied marketing, you know, group studied psychology, political science. And you get this, you get a sense of, um, the, the pathway that they went there and you can start envisioning yourself and it gives you a really amazing perspective. If, if that, if that, if you know, that's the direction you want to go, um, to start to visualize yourself there, but also realize that this school, this degree can provide you with, with the right pathway. And you can start yeah. to compare it to others, um, as well that you're trying to, you know, develop that short list that you maybe want to attend for, for university. So, I, I mean, I think that that's a great, 
homework assignment. And even if you're a kid that's out there that doesn't yet have a LinkedIn, I mean, it's great to get started. You could also use your parents' LinkedIn profile to go and do some of this research along these different schools. But go in there and take a look at an industry that you're interested in or a school that you want to learn more about. You'll find that the tools there are really robust. It's something that we use at College Coach quite often to look at different uh, institutions and help guide our students. So, Andrew, thanks a lot for coming today. Uh, There was way more to talk about than I thought. I'm not, I don't know why I'm surprised about that, but I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Of course. All right, folks, when we come back, we're answering your questions, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. I got the name right this time. In the first segment, I kind of messed it up. Um, We are now doing some listener Q&A. And of course, for listener Q&A, we've got to have Shannon Vasconcelos, our college finance expert here. Hey, Shannon, how's it going? Hey, Ian, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited by the questions that we've got because I think there's some really terrific ones in here. And I want to thank all of you listeners that have sent in questions for us. Um, You can do that at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com, or you can go to our Facebook page. Uh, You can find us on LinkedIn and send us questions. There are a lot of different ways of reaching out and connecting with us. and we, we want to cover these. So Shannon, let's start with an admissions question because I want to talk. So what do we got? Of course you What's do. What's at the top? Yep. Yes. Uh, coming in from Trisha, a friend recently mentioned to me that her fourth child was rejected from his quote unquote safety school because her older three children all applied and were accepted to that school, but did not attend. Do admissions officers consider past applications from siblings when offering admission to protect their yield? Yes. No, no. I mean, yes. I mean, I, yes, I understand the question and no, uh, I don't believe that. Okay, that's that happening. answer could not have been more confusing. Ian. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I just want to draw people in here, Shannon. Um, the reason I think that this question is so important right now, you know, this, this show is going to air on three thirty-one. I think that's the same day actually that a lot of the Ivy league decisions come out. And it's about the point at which all colleges will have reached out and notified students. And oh boy, do you hear a lot of different reasons why kids didn't get in or did get in or how this other kid who had stronger grades got denied while this other kid who had a weaker extracurricular profile got it and everything. And so I think the rumor mill explodes when those decisions start hitting. Yeah. And I think that when we are trying to make sense of that from the outside, when we're not a part of the process, the deliberative process that happened on the inside of that admission office, We sometimes will assign value to different attributes that feel salient to us that were potentially irrelevant in the conversation. And so I can see why with this family, you would say, oh my gosh, these, all these older siblings got in. None of them said yes. The fourth kid applies. And that school says, you know what? We've had enough of this family. They keep saying no to us. No way. And I think that that's just there. It's something that it stretches the imagination for me a little bit. And I think for a few reasons, one is that college has changed their selectivity over time. And most schools are getting more selective these days. So that can affect how different students might be read within the context of a pool. Second is that admission officers turn over pretty frequently. Um, you'll find a lot of people who are in the office for two years, three years. And so there's not this sense of like, oh, I remember this family. 
Let's go ahead and double check. Now, they are tracking data and they are going to look at indications of potential demonstrated interest in some cases, but they're not going to look at what the other siblings decided and hold that against another sibling. And I think admission officers always want to be very, very fair about each student being their own student. Um, Each sibling has their own path. My brother and I look a lot alike, but we could not be more different in terms of what we wanted from college and what our career outcomes have been. And so to hold him to the measure of what I have you know, defined my educational career by would be totally unfair to him. So I think, I think colleges have that same kind of view. Each student is unique. We are going to look at whatever it is that's important to us in that given applicant year. And on the outside, we as you know, spectators can't make a lot of assumptions about what's actually happening um, in the way that the sausage is made. Yeah. And I get the, uh, the impetus to do so. Yeah. You know, coming oh, yeah. from the outside, as you see wonderful students not get into these schools and there has to be some reason. So it's a I understand the urge to find a tangible reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I think it's natural. I think I would have yeah. the same instinct. I yeah. mean, like, ask me when I, when my kids apply and I'll be like, wait a second. <laughs> um, but I think I think, you know, if you banish that sense of emotion yeah. rationally, I think it's extremely unlikely that that had an influence. Um, All right. I'm going to ask you a question from Angel. This came through YouTube, which is really cool. Um, So you can also send us questions on YouTube, folks. Um, This question says, should I send an email to my financial aid office? Now there's more. Sure. Uh, Yes. Why not? (laughs) I received a need-based financial aid offer, but would like more to ease some stress, but my circumstances haven't changed. Okay. So this is the, the aid package isn't quite what is optimal for, for right. Angel. I'm just worried about phrasing everything right. I was going to call, but I feel like I should email instead. I have that same instinct. Should I send an email to my financial aid office? So I think two questions here. One is, yeah, exactly. should you ask for more money if you don't necessarily have a different circumstance? Um, and then second is, is it better to call or email when you're making that ask? Right. And so I, in terms of calling or emailing, Uh, I do agree that I think you should email. When you call a financial aid office, a couple of things. First of all, the person answering the phone, very likely to be a work-study student who does not have the power to change anything. Um, So it may be sort of a futile effort if you're trying to convince this lovely work-study student on the phone that you need more money. They don't have any money to give you. They need more money. Right. right? (laughs) Exactly. That's why they're working their work study job. They need the money. Um, And I think often the sort of natural inclination is just sort of to kind of shut down the request. So I do think it is a better strategy to put your request in writing, email it into the financial aid office. If you happen to have the email address of the particular uh, financial aid officer in charge of your case, you can email them directly. Otherwise, to the generic financial aid office email address uh, is perfectly fine. Uh, and sort of lay out your case in writing, let it get to the right person. Sometimes these things actually have to go to a committee. So let that person sort of be able to act as your advocate in the committee. Uh, so I think email is an excellent strategy. Now, in terms of what if you don't really have any special circumstances to share in this email, should you still be asking for more money? Um, I think, yes, why not? The worst they will do is say no. You know, nothing bad is going to come of their request. So even if you really can't think of anything, hey, might as well ask, um, depending on the, the circumstances uh, of the school, if you know perhaps they're having uh, low yield. To harken back to our, our our last question, protecting the yield. If they're having low yield that year, they have extra money and they're having trouble enrolling students. Maybe they do start to get a little bit more generous with the financial aid. Um, and there's really no harm in asking, so you might as well. But the most successful financial aid appeals are ones that can bring up some new information to the financial aid officer. Something that was not evident in your initial application, changed circumstances, something that was not reported. Um, So I would urge you before you send sort of a generic email, really think about it. Is there anything that was not evident on that FAFSA that I could bring up, be it 
you know, high medical expenses, parents paying off their student loans still, uh, a sibling in private high school. Um, I just bought a new boat and I don't have the cash flow. That's probably not a good one, right? <laughs> if that's all you got, hey, again, why not? But <laughs> probably not. Uh, maybe another one is you're supporting an elderly relative or yeah. um, family overseas. Anything you can think of um, or your income certainly has decreased since the, the right. financial aid application you submitted. That's a great one. Um, to, to ask for special consideration for. So I would urge you to really think about it. Is there any new information you can share? That Those are the appeals that are most successful. But if there's truly nothing you can put your finger on, hey, might as well ask anyway. You never know. Nothing bad will come of it. Email e- works great. Email better than calling. I think. Though I would say after you send the email, wait a couple weeks. If you have not heard anything back, I wouldn't hesitate to follow up at that point with a phone call, make sure you're not sitting at the bottom of someone's email inbox um, because there is a short window of time. Generally have to make decisions by May 1st. You want to make sure that you're being uh, polite, but persistent in following up. Definitely. Okay. The next question for you, Ian comes in from Patty. She says, I love your podcast and was hoping you'd consider answering this question as part of a Q and a, you got it, Patty. My son is, yeah, my son is a roller coaster enthusiast, which is a term of art for exactly what it sounds like. Okay. He road trips to many theme parks throughout the year. His personal contribution to the coaster community is his Instagram page. He takes photos of roller coasters while at various theme parks and creates engagement on his page. He mm-hmm. has organically grown his page to be large for the community, not for a Kardashian. <laughs> Which I love. That's the same thing we're, we're aiming for with college coaches, social media presence, you know, large for college consulting, not for a Kardashian. <laughs> um, in addition, his photos have been reposted by several of the theme parks themselves to use on their own Instagram pages. How do you capture an extracurricular interest that is not a classic activity like a sports or club or a job on the common app? And I will tell you, Ian, I felt the need to follow up with this mom when she messaged us on Facebook to tell me his Instagram handle because I was intrigued. I don't know how it will play in the admissions uh, process. I'll let you answer that. I was personally intrigued. I'm like, I need to see his page. Um, I did tell mom I'd give him a shout out. So his Instagram handle at airtime underscore Ryan. If you want to check out really cool pictures of roller coasters, go check out airtime underscore Ryan. So I was going to ask you, Shannon, as you came to the end of this question, when you hear this, what's your reaction? But you kind of answered it already. This sounds really cool, right? It's like, what a cool thing for a kid to do. It sounds so organic. Uh, It sounds like that, you know, that, that term that I hate that people always use in this process, passion, but it feels like an authentic passion. Like, I think that's pretty rare, but this really feels like that. He is not doing this because he thinks it will impress an admissions officer. He's doing it because he loves it. No. And I can, I can totally see a circumstance where, um, an admission officer more often than not, is going to have your kind of reaction to this or my kind of reaction. Like, Whoa, what a cool thing. I never knew that this existed. What an awesome thing for a student to do you know, provided he's got all the other, like, he's not going to get in only on the merits of the uh, roller coaster enthusiasm, but I think it's a really wonderful component of the application. And so there are a couple of different ways of doing this. I think that on the one hand, if you have something like this for your students, that doesn't feel like it falls into a typical kind of activity category. You can find a way to put that into the extracurricular activities list as a student using your words, describing your interest so that a college admission officer can understand that. Um, I have a student that I'm working with, for example, who just like, you know, she's just like casually said, I go to farmer's markets every week. And I said, well, why do you do that? And she said, well, to pick out the produce. And I was like, all right, stop being sarcastic. Why do you need to go to the (laughs) farmer's market every week? And she said, it's because I cook all my own meals. I cook all my own lunches and dinners. My mom eats all of her meals at work. My dad likes frozen food, so he doesn't cook. And so I have to prepare all of my meals. Wow. And I was like, that seems normal to you. That's an activity. Let's put that in your activities list, right? Um, And so she will have an opportunity to describe that in her college admission essay or in her her activities list. For something like what's happening here with Patty's son, Ryan, this almost certainly needs to be his essay. Like- it just seems like there's not a world in which 
he can let this be one line item in an activities yeah. list that it really has to be about what, what his central thing is. And I think that what I would say is while it is cool that some of the rides have reposted his photos and he's gotten some notoriety and he's got some follows, that's not at all what I'm interested in, in terms of his engagement with this activity. I'm interested in the authentic development of that. It's kind of the, the process itself that if you build it, they will come peace. I'm much more interested in the fact that he built it than the fact that they came. They came. Yeah. Um, Cause there are a lot of people with tons of follows who are doing very vapid things on social media. This is not one of those things. Right? Sure. And so I think a, a wonderful essay that helps us to learn more about who Ryan is and why this is such an interest for him and what he loves about this, you know, that experience of being on the coaster, but also how he thinks about planning his adventures. And yeah, there, there, I, yes. there could be just a really terrific essay coming from this. And this is one of those things where as a counselor, I almost say like, there's nothing else that you could write that's going to be better at introducing you to a college than this will be for you. So for sure. you have to, and I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to let you write anything else. Um, Doctor's orders. Ian says so. I said so. So, um, so Patty, you can tell your son, this is really cool. We got an N of two here, but we both think it's awesome. Um, and you can, uh, you can tell him that this is probably his essay topic. All right. We're going to take a break. We've got more questions to come back. Um, and then we will, we'll keep on answering them as many as we possibly can. But you know, if we get these ones that get us excited, like, like Ryan's roller coaster enthusiasm, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are in the midst of answering listener questions, which you can always send to us on our social media pages, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I don't, we don't have a TikTok, do we yet, Shannon? Not yet, yet, but if you're ready to learn some dance nope. moves, we nope. can make it happen. Nope. Nope. Too old. Uh, can't do that. Um, but send us, send us your questions on all the other platforms. Um, and then also to getting in.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We've got a lot more admissions than finance questions today. So, so you've got another admissions question you want to throw my way, right, Shannon? I sure do. And this was from Kelly. She sent to us on Instagram. I am a high school counselor trying to help some of my seniors navigate the decisions they have received. Mm-hmm. One of our larger state schools has waitlisted a large number of my students, which is highly unusual for our school. They are telling my students that they will notify them of a decision about the waitlist by May 31st, but yeah. the deposit deadline is May 1st. Many of them have gotten offers to other state schools, but prefer the one that they are waitlisted to. I'm trying to help them walk through the decision of when and where and how to deposit, but how does all of this actually work? If they deposit at one school and get an offer to the school they are waitlisted on after May 1st, what can they do? Is there any disadvantage to waiting until the last minute to deposit other than dorm placement? Yeah, this I mean, this is such an important question. We get it all the time from families. I think it's it's really tough to figure out because it kind of feels like you've got one deadline that comes before you have all the information that you need right. to have. And that's the nature of the waitlist, right? Fundamentally, the waitlist is to help colleges who come in 
under their enrollment targets and need more students, but they don't know that they're under their enrollment targets until May 1st, definitively. So they can't go to their wait list until after their own deadlines have passed. So it's this really funky circumstance where they're essentially poaching students that have enrolled at other places. And that's just part of the waitlist process. Right. Now, what does this mean for an individual student? If you are on the waitlist at a school, the first question you have to answer is, do I want to accept a place on this waitlist or not? You don't have to, but if you do, if you, if you are interested in potentially receiving an offer later on down the road, you say, yes, you return the information to them and they know that they can call you if a spot opens up. Now, what I want you to do is essentially forget about that school. I want you to ignore the waitlisted school. They don't need further research on your part. You don't need to contact them in any regard. You can just accept that place on the waitlist and wait to hear from them. Now, sometimes I think that students do want to send a letter that says, hey, it remains my number one choice. I don't need financial aid if I get an offer, et cetera, et cetera. And I think if that's something that you really want to do because it's a top choice of yours, I'm all for it. Go ahead and send them that note. But after that initial communication has happened, that's when you've got to start thinking about the schools that have actually made offers for you. And that's where the the advising for these students um, comes into play. Um, So Kelly, I think you want to tell your students, we got to think about the schools that you've been admitted to and which one you want to go to. So we're going through the normal process like any other student would. You're going to go ahead and research those schools, maybe visit campus, and then place that enrollment deposit. You could wait until April 30th if you wanted to do so. Um, Again, the only real drawback there is that you might miss out on priority housing. That's totally up to the student. And I think it's a cost benefit analysis where, you know, if you deposit earlier, you might forfeit that deposit. If you get in off a wait list, that's usually about three or 400 bucks. Um, If you wait, you might have more opportunity to consider a wait list offer, but you don't get preferential treatment in terms of the housing enrollments. So I think each family is going to be different in terms of how they evaluate that. What I often find, Shannon, <clears throat> excuse me, is that if students are offered a space off the wait list in late May, by then they've already forgotten about the school that's offering them that space. By then they're already in the social media groups for the schools they're going to. They've already yeah. met other students. They're excited. They've, they've bought the sweatshirt. And this other school comes along and says, hey, we'd like to offer you a spot off the wait list. And most students will say, no, I'm good. Yep. Yeah. And, and so... I think the reason that I want students to get so confident about where they actually enroll is because the likelihood of that call coming from the waitlist is pretty low. Yeah. Um, it's it just necessarily, it's going to be a very, very small percentage of the students who are even put on the waitlist that ultimately get a call. Um, this happened to me. I was like, maybe Dartmouth is going to call. And it wasn't until June that they sent me a postcard that said, we're releasing you from our waitlist. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I forgot about forgot all about you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think that that's something that, um, it's hard to navigate in the initial phase of getting that information. Yeah. I think it gets a lot clearer as time goes on. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's get into a finance question, um, for you. Where the heck did I put this thing? Oh, right. There it is. Um, okay. Another question coming from YouTube. This one's from Carolyn yeah. and it just came like eight days ago. So it's, it's yes. really recent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a retired parent, congratulations, and, and draw on my retirement account. Um, she's also wants to say she's retired federal government yep. and she receives a monthly pension. It seems the CSS profile wants the total current balance in my TSP. The thrift and, savings plan. That's the, the federal government um, like 401k. Gotcha. So the CSS wants to know the current balance in her, her retirement account and the calculated net worth of her pension. I looked how to calculate the net worth of my pension and a 70 K per year pension calculates out to around $2.5 million net worth over the lifetime disbursement. Am I understanding right that I have to calculate the rest of my life net worth of my pension and add that to the total value of my TSP? Very specific question, but I'm interested in this, in this answer, because it's, it seems like this is a this is a tough circumstance for Carolyn to be in as a retired um, federal yeah. government. Yeah, though also a great circumstance that she has a nice pension yeah. coming of seventy thousand totally. dollars a year that you and I and most people don't have these days. Um, those pension plans are, are few and far between, um, and so that is the reason that Carolyn, you're correct 
in your analysis that this is exactly what the CSS profile is asking you to do to um, estimate the the sort of future value of this, these pension plan uh, payments you'll be receiving for your lifetime. Um, and I, I did a sort of quick back of the envelope math, and I think her estimates are about right. So it's a good chunk of change um, that she will be reporting on the CSS profile. That's the bad news. <laughs> the good news, other than the fact that she's receiving this pension, is that it probably will not matter. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is a confusing part about the CSS profile and about the financial aid process in general. We often say, do not report your retirement accounts. And that is absolutely accurate uh, as far as the FAFSA goes, the main financial aid application that, that every college uses. But some, require the, some colleges require this additional form called the CSS profile where right. they do ask you about your retirement accounts. So families naturally get confused. You do have to report the value of your retirement accounts and any pensions uh, on the CSS profile, but they do not feed into the financial aid calculations. Hmm. They are asked for sort of informational purposes in the unusual circumstance where a family otherwise looks very um, poor but they have millions upon millions of dollars in their retirement accounts. In that very unusual circumstance, a college might choose to consider um, those retirement assets to be in a, available to pay for college and sort of manually feed them into the financial aid calculations. 99% of the time, even though you report the amounts of the retirement accounts, they do not affect the financial aid calculations whatsoever. So it's so, it's a professional judgment kind of circumstance. <clears throat> I think exactly am I right, right that like Jeff Bezos makes like a dollar a year from Amazon in salary oh, yeah, or something like I that? I think so. Yeah. So he would qualify for full need-based financial aid through the FAFSA, right? Because it's an income-driven yes. formula. Unless yes. he sells, unless he sells stock in that particular and year, which would be gain. income. Right. That's, right. that's exactly right. So, so so a school that has the profile might say, hey, Jeff Bezos, we know you only make a dollar a year, but we we think you can afford to pay for the full tuition and we're not going to give you any need-based aid. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So Jeff Bezos would not do well at the CSS Profile School. Carolyn, you're probably fine. Great. That's how I want it to be. Yes. <laughs> that is the, <laughs> the world works well every once in a while. <laughs> All righty. Um, so Ellen asks... Thanks so much for your podcast. It has been really helpful to me. I have a question for the show, if you think it might be a good one to address. And we we do. do. Uh, My daughter has fallen in love with a school where she is significantly above the GPA and ACT range for admitted students. It is a less selective state institution with a 78% acceptance rate. How should we advise her to build her list of additional colleges, given that she is very likely to be admitted? This particular school offers early action, but not early decision. Our initial thought would be to find a few schools which are similar to or less selective than this particular school. Does she need a reach school? No I way. Go, no. No <laughs> way. No. no. Why? What, what yeah. for? I love this. This is so yeah. great. Just like what an awesome circumstance. This is like you know that the person you want to ask to the dance is going to say yes. It's really into you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's great. You don't have that's to be like, wait, I want to see if I can ask somebody else. Right. Like <laughs> this is fantastic news. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's how, I think it's how we hope that the, uh, the admission process works for everybody is that I, you fall in love with a school that really wants you. You really want them. It's a fantastic match and, and you're very happy. Um, I wanted to bring you in on the answer on the, to this question though, because I think that there are potentially some circumstances where having multiple offers of financial aid could be helpful in a negotiation circumstance. And so if you just apply to this one school, I I think you can't ever apply to only one college. I think you want to have two or three schools just to hedge against things going completely haywire. Yeah, Yeah, it could happen. Um, And I would make sure that the the other two schools are, are similarly selective so that they can also be treated as essentially safety schools. But it feels like it would be good to have a couple of other financial aid offers in hand to be able to go to that school and say, hey... We got these other offers. We'd like to negotiate our, our aid package here. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think that it, it could be. The only hesitation that I have is um, she mentions that this is a less selective state university. State yeah. State universities in general 
tend to be less amenable to negotiation. Okay. Um, so I think that if she doesn't want to go through the effort of applying to a whole bunch of other schools, you know, just to get negotiating material when the negotiation unlikely to be successful anyway, probably mm-hmm. not absolutely necessary. I have seen some successful negotiations at state universities. It's less common than at private schools, but it does happen. So I think that that's a fair point, Ian, that maybe she wants to throw a couple more schools on the list um, where, again, she's sort of a standout student, very likely to be admitted, likely to be offered some merit scholarships, um, other than, you know, the time and energy it takes to put in the up into the applications to these schools, which she may decide may or may not be worth it. Doesn't hurt to have a little negotiating material in your back pocket. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's something she might want to consider. She could decide for or against, um, but I think that should be a consideration. All right. That sounds great. We yeah. are just about out of time. I wonder if we can grab that last question um, from Mayor. Mayor, absolutely. Love I am an it. eighth. Oh, and this is from a student, not a parent, which I love. Uh, yeah. I'm a very young student. I am an eighth grader, so I will be going to ninth grade in a few months. I very recently started listening to this podcast, and I would like to know a few episodes that you think are most important will catch me up and that you think I should listen to. I think all of the episodes that you should listen to are still yet to be done. We go through cycles every year where we return to the important stuff like wait lists and what to do with wait list decisions. In fact, for next week's episode, we are talking about what happens if you didn't get in, what to consider as a reapplicant for next year. That's something I think we've probably covered on the show before, but we always update that content with new and relevant information depending on what's happening in the landscape of admission and college finance. Things like public service loan forgiveness could change. There might be entirely different policies. So I don't want to send you back in time to listen to old shows. I just want to invite you to join us here every week for our new shows. Um, we've got a lot of really exciting things happening uh, in the in the coming future. And internally, we've got, I, I want to say thanks, Shannon, to Lauren Randall, who has been our longtime producer of the podcast behind the scenes and has done just an awesome job of coordinating guests and coming up with topic ideas. And she's now taking on some new roles within our team. And so now we've got Jennifer Simons, who I think is a lot of people's favorite guest on the show, who's going to be stepping in to do uh, production work for us. So uh, it's, it's an exciting challenge. Change and we'll see what Jennifer's version of the show looks like. Is it kind of like a darker Christopher Nolan, like edgier, yeah. you know, getting in a college think, coach? Things are going to get wild. So yeah, tune in. I think so. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Uh, we are excited to welcome you back next week when Beth will be hosting again. We'll talk about AP and IB classes alongside that, what to do if you didn't get in, and even some goal setting conversations on saving for college, which I think would be great for mayor as an, an eighth grader coming into ninth grade. Uh, so thanks, Shannon, for being here. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.